Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the Square Ball Podcast number 165 with Levi Solicitors with 10% off your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan and with me is Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White Daniel Chapman. Hello. Issue 5 is our current issue of our fanzine, which came out for the Wednesday game. More copies of that on sale. Next home game at Ellen Road. Loads of clobber as well. Clothes, mugs on sale via our website, which is the squareball.net. And that is the place if you want to get your half-season subscription, get all the remaining issues of the magazine delivered to your door. Well, it all got a little bit frenetic, wild, crazy at the match ball at the weekend because of the QPR game. How do you feel now? People have said we sounded, you in particular sounded angry, Dan. I can't really remember. Yeah, I was quite angry. I was more bemused than angry, I think, at the weekend. Just kind of, when Leeds totally leads it in like that, when everything goes wrong and the world feels like it's caving in, it stops making sense. I kind of tolerate it up to a a, a point and then Ed just goes, and it went on Saturday. I've gathered my thoughts together now and I'm fine with it, but it wasn't great, was it? The implosions weren't as bad when it just meant we, we had a really bad result and we went from 12th to 15th you could laugh at it then that joke isn't funny anymore as the, the song goes it's it's a bit upsetting really that we've I mean we've just been looking ahead to Millwall you know looking at teams like that now eight points off us who at the start of this bad run seemed like they were potentially going down if anything we were probably going to win the league finish 30 points ahead of them it's all just bunched up so horribly behind us you start worrying about dropping out of the playoffs I mean, you tried to inject a note of optimism at the weekend, Moscow. I think you could probably get away with it now more. We've had a couple of days to process everything. How do you feel about it? Probably the same. There did seem to be a, a just a collective loss of minds <laughs> about this game. For I'm not sure why, for any particular reason. It wasn't like we played any worse than we have in any other matches or did anything particularly different. I've seen there was a quite a strong movement against... Um, some of the defence that, you know, Liam Cooper should be bombed out of this team. But, you know, if Naki Wells hadn't cheated, it's we keep a clean sheet. And, you know, QPR, they obviously have a dangerous forward line. Lots of lots of the things that we don't like, like players running at our defenders that they they never particularly appreciate. And we didn't let them score. And we, we barely let them have a, a chance in the second half. It's just, it's absolutely standard that we dominated the match unlucky goal against and then we lose and if we had a striker we win that game 
So that's all we need. Sign a striker, we'll be all right, we'll go up. In amongst all the hysteria, we didn't really give proper credit to their forward line, which does look dangerous. Well, they didn't do anything. So there's no credit to have, they didn't score. (laughs) No, but even still, I mean, it is a forward line that we've come up against that's probably given us one of the most troubles, I think. And even then, we still kept a clean sheet, bar cheating. Yeah, so... There's a lot of, there's a temptation. I think there was a, and certainly a, a desire on Saturday afternoon and evening to, to tear the team to shreds. I think somebody, I think they phoned up 606 to say it's time for Bielsa to go and we need to get Mick McCarthy in to get this team over the line. All that kind of nonsense. And it is as simple as score goals. And to score goals, we just need to sign a striker. So we'll sign a striker um, of any kind and then we'll get promoted. So it'll be fine. And we'll look back on this and laugh. Good. Um, while Pat Bamford just sits in the corner and and watches. I mean, this is turning into almost, you know, Michael, you've been laying out your coaching guides across, you know, recent Mm. weeks and months. This Maybe you could extend this into a management guide, how to run a football club, sort of along the lines of get some players. Buy someone who has scored goals. And get promoted. I don't even care who anymore, just someone. It can be anyone, anyone at all. I don't care what sort of striker they are. I don't care if they're slow, if they're fast, tall, short. Just get someone on who can score. At least, given at least, who can give us an option? Because that's what this game was crying out for. Because Bamford, he does have these sometimes. He was having a bad game. He'd missed. I know there's the, there was the massive Twitter debate about whether his his chance was more than 0.03 of a, an xG, which it, it definitely was, and the penalty definitely was more than that. You just needed to go off. Just sometimes you're just having a bad day, and you need someone to just say, mm. "Look, let's let someone else have a go," even if that person is, you know, Dukara. <laughs> someone who who everyone basically acknowledges isn't that good but he's, who is at least somebody different who can have a go we do create enough chances for any striker should look good in this team and you know Bielsa's whole raison d'etre and everything he's done at Leeds has been about making average players look much better it just seems like Pat Bamford is his well finishing is the one thing Bielsa says he, he can't teach so Bamford is kind of immune but you would think the number of times we cross a ball into a box and uh, the number of times he's allowed to put the ball down on a penalty spot and kick it that he might get a few more goals than he has and there's a there's a, a mixture of responsibility one obviously it's on the club for not having secured another striker by now or for having to deal with Enketia where he could go back halfway during the season but then I suppose under what other circumstances we could have got a £20 million rated striker other than some kind of deal that that was designed to screw us in the end, I don't know. But you've also got to look at Bamford and say, just score some fucking goals. Like, it's not... He was Championship Player of the Year not so long ago and he's had nothing but support for him from the the terraces during games, you know, even when um, Enketia was here and Eddie got chanted, there would be chance for Bamford as well he would be sung off and Eddie would be sung on and it would all there's nothing but sort of uh, there's criticism uh, on social media and on podcasts like this when you know you'd hope he isn't listening or paying attention so it's fine when there is attention he gets everything he needs and I don't know what more he needs to actually just score some fucking goals he's not the only one because Jackie missed his header at the back post and but there's just when you're multi-million pound number nine is putting the ball down on the penalty spot and nobody thinks he's going to score. Just bombed it. 
bomb him out and get somebody else in. What was your next word going to be there? Uh, I know it's a hassle for you to have to bleep things, so I, I try to avoid it. Okay. I do wonder if strikers see our play like, you know, we're on telly enough where you think someone like Andre Gray or Shadams has gone, do you know what, bloody hell, I'd love to play in that side because they make so many chances. You would hope so. It's a bit like the thing of, in the old days when Scum signed Andy Cole, everyone agreed he was basically not very good, but then he still scored like 25 goals every season because they were the best team in the league and used to just put endless chances on a plate for him. We should be that, but somehow Bamford is still not the top scorer in the division, despite the fact he has more chances than pretty much everybody else. I know we'll be talking about transfers in a little bit, but it does seem like that's the, the message that's got through to Shea Adams, where, yeah, he wants to come to Leeds and score loads of goals for Leeds, like he's up for the move. And that's probably part of it. And and I think the other side of it, when you do wonder about what's affecting the rest of the team, because there are bigger problems than just not scoring. Everything looks flat. Some of the players look tired. We are still, I mean, this should have been a clean sheet, but for but for cheating, Sheffield Wednesday could have been a, another nil-nil if Kiko had saved that one at the near post. And then if it was nil-nil, the second one doesn't happen. So there's those mistakes are... Creeping in, or at least that mistake is creeping in when it wasn't before. And as much as strikers are looking at our team and thinking there's an opportunity there to go to Leeds and score goals, defenders will be looking at our team and saying, Oh, if we're playing Leeds on the side, there'll be loads of crosses, but they won't score them. And it's just, I've mentioned in the uh, match report, it's going back to the 50s, but the whole question of where Leeds should have played John Charles at, in, in defence is he because he started as a centre half or uh, up front because when he went up front he started scoring loads of goals and in the end uh, the best place for him was in attack because although the, the defenders we had he was the best defender at the club but if he scored three goals in the first half then our defenders lives were were easy and every team came to play Leeds and the first thing they had to do was try and stop John Charles scoring whereas if he was in defence they could target the players around him and, and they'd feel like they had more of a chance um, Are you saying we should play Bamford at centre half? Is that why? Or Ben is, White up front? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm which. saying we need a. Yeah, I think either would probably be quite good actually because yeah. Bamford's good defensively. When we when we look at the the problems, why is everything a bit flat and why has some of the fizz has gone out of this? I think it's just that feeling that no matter if you're Jackie Harrison or Helder Costa, yes, you could improve your own final ball, but they're also thinking you could put the perfect cross into the box and it's still not get going in. Whereas if you have a player there that everybody has the confidence that they're going to score goals, then then the defence are more relaxed and everybody and the um the wingers are more optimistic about the balls that are coming in. The the whole thing just lifts. So I do think there's rather than Sack Bielsa get <laughs> Eddie Gray in, play the kids sell everybody everyone's saying you know we need to sign a keeper sign a centre half sign a, a new midfielder maybe with injuries and suspensions that's that's an option but really just somebody who can score and we beat QPR yeah I think um, it's about something we touched on I think last week is is coming in with a, with a fresh just a fresh body new ideas somebody who's not carrying that millstone of Leeds United around the neck somebody who can just come in and say it's alright lads I've got this Yeah, you keep sticking these chances in front of me and I'll do my best to put them away and doesn't hasn't had half a season of anxiety piled on the shoulders Was if you're looking at Bamford flapping his arms around just because the, the ball was an inch away from his foot and he's offside anyway then you go fuck off you can kind of see why Patrick Bamford is at this level and you can also see why he tends to score in fits and starts I think I think he's a good footballer. I just don't think he's a very good striker and certainly not one to lead the line on his own. And 
we've kind of, you know, swayed back and forth on this podcast on Bamford across the season, but we've seen enough of him now to know, I think, that this job up front on his own, he's not the man who's going to score us out of this division. And that I think that that applies even if he does score against Millwall twice or whatever. You see enough of his fallow patches now to think we need something else up there. Maybe Bamford to play off him, Bamford to come off the bench, whatever it might be. I just don't see him leading the line. I just don't think he's quite got it. He's technically a very good footballer. If you were to do like a, a series of tests on him against, say, like prime Becchio, Bamford's touch would be better. He's probably got a better leap on him. But I'm sure he can do more kick-ups in the garden than, than <laughs> Becchio. All the metrics on him would probably say he's a better footballer. But actually, put him in a game and Becchio's in the right place and scores goals. There's a responsibility part of it as well with the, the whole penalty thing. It seemed like it summed him up where he's he's never frightened of being the man of saying, right, I'm going to take responsibility, I'll get that ball, I'll take that penalty. But then when he's left to actually do it, it's like he's terrified. There's that difference between having the self A lot of people and the players that lead to who play with him and four managers say he has this real quiet self-confidence. He's, like, he's unflappable almost. Yeah, he, he yeah. thinks he can, he always thinks he can do it. He'll always back himself to do it. But then I think that moment when he is actually with the ball on the penalty spot and there's the goalkeeper to beat, he just goes, well, actually, I don't know, I can't. And he misses because that penalty was atrocious and it felt, it summed him up really where it's kind of he's got he's got everything he needs the skill set the self-confidence the belief um the ability to to score a penalty like that and to take it on in a high pressure situation because in that game we were saying on the Saturday that the way the Leeds were playing the whole second half was well it was like the last few minutes of a cup final from the from half time onwards we were desperately trying to equalize there it is there's the chance he's the one who's going to do it and then just there's that last little bit in between taking the responsibility and carrying it out where he just seems like he fails far too often. You do wonder if maybe he's just a bit too much of a thinker rather than he's kind of got that kind of, I'm just going to shove this in the net, kind of that little X factor, that magic sprinkling, you know, that the, the great strikers have. Thinks too much, but he ain't got a brain. The thing with the penalty was, when you see it slow down, he seems to be watching the goalkeeper to see where he's going to dive, but then just puts it to the same side as he's dived to. So you think, well, if you're going to if you're gonna just pick a side, like, like Alan Shearer used to just pick a side, but then he just twatted it into the roof of the net or into the side netting and the keeper couldn't really get anywhere near it. Bamford seems to go for some middle ground here. He's like, I'll watch the keeper, which way the keeper's going to go, but then I'll just hit it to this side anyway. Was the goalkeeper said afterwards that he'd uh, his goalkeeper coach had done all the research on Bamford's penalties so he knew exactly where it was going and so he just dived where Bamford always puts it. So you've probably got that thing of... Bamford's watching the the goalkeeper to see where he goes and then he's going where he expects Bamford to put it and Bamford was expecting to put it there and then he just goes, oh, no. And he's got no way of um, of switching it up so he's he's predictable and then doesn't have the the nous to, to make a change or, yeah, he sees the keeper going where he was going to put it and instead of absolutely... Because the keeper can right, dive the right way but if you absolutely leather it past him, if you're Kevin Pressman matter where uh, where he dives but instead it's just oh, no he's dived I was going to put it there oh shit I've missed it and it's foiled just, yeah but you know that one on one chance that where he went through on the keeper do you wonder if maybe again he had another second or two to think about that and that's maybe why that one didn't go in because he didn't I mean, make good decisions though I don't I mean the thinker thing he might be a thinker but then it comes down to it does he then think of the you know you could be a thinker you spend ages thinking about maths equations for example 
and then you still get the wrong answer. And it seems like he can do all the thinking he wants and instinctively he does the wrong thing and when he thinks, he thinks he does the wrong. Because that's the second time we've seen him through on goal uh, like that and last time he tried to put it onto his weaker foot and got tackled and then this time, I mean, it's not even about the decision, it's about the execution. There was another opportunity to just pause and go around the keeper and slot it in, but even if he'd just done a better job of doing what he decided to do, it goes in the net. I, mean, I think what I was getting at was, like, if anybody's ever played football, even to the shittest of shit levels, which is about where I go to, you know that, like, in those moments, you know where you score the nice goal or whatever, even if it's five a side, playing with your mates or whatever, all that stuff happens instinctively. It's when you give yourself half a second to think, I think, maybe that that's when things start to go wrong. And I do wonder if, like, on that one-on-one chance that Bamford was already thinking in his mind what he was going to do. And by the time... He'd, Celebration. He'd, he'd thought, yeah, by the time he'd thought it through, well, oh no, it's in the stand kind of thing. And, and again, similar with the penalty, rather than just running up, picking a side and smacking it in, thinking, right, I'm going to place it into that bottom corner there. Um, he is also absolutely useless with his right foot. We see this time and time again. He misses chances on his right foot all the time. And yet he shoots with it as well. Often quite badly as well. Like there was one against Sheffield Wednesday, which was underrated for how good a chance it was, where it was just rolled across the box to him onto his right foot. Because it wasn't even one where he needed to particularly hit it hard because the pace had cro- uh, the cross had some pace on it and he was about six yards out and he managed to get it about five yards over the bar. Stuff like that. He just needs to be better with it. Mm, I think my, my solution with Bamford is not necessarily to bomb him out of the team but to give him a bit of time out of the limelight and find a different place to play him because I, I just don't think he's, he's a number Southampton. nine. Southampton. Swap him. <laughs> but I, th- I think he's a good footballer but I think he's maybe more built to be like an old-fashioned inside forward or maybe to play off a striker or out wide as, as he has done in his career previously. Time machine. We send him back to the 1950s and he can play there. That would work. Quantum leap. But do you know what I mean? He just doesn't seem to have the qualities of that number nine, that kind of that that hunger, that killer instinct, whatever it might be, that little X factor. Then he came on against West Brom and we were saying how he turned the game for us and had done really well. Obviously he needs to be better, but it's partly the fault of us not having another striker because he has a bad half and you take him off and that's fine. And hopefully we're sat here talking about a win or at least a draw because whoever we've got on the bench has come on and scored and we can all just put it down to a bad day at the office for Bamford. But when it is all on him, it is an unfair amount of pressure on someone because not every, even the best strikers in the world have bad days. And I'm not saying that Bamford is the best striker in the world by any stretch. Yeah, I think it, it's doubly frustrating that he decided, well, he didn't decide, but he missed that penalty and he had a bad game at this particular moment when we don't have a, a backup and all the debate is about where our second striker is like of all the times to fuck up that badly. Um, he had to do it now. And yeah, I was going to say as well, sort of in his defence, he scored 10 goals this season. He scored a decent number of goals last season. It's And that's part of the infuriating thing as well. It's not impossible for him to be good. It does feel a little bit unfair, sort of turning the, the conversation about the entire game into just what are we like 10 minutes of just lambasting <laughs> Pat Bamford but he embodies I, it doesn't he though well I, I don't think he just embodies it I do think that is genuinely the problem that when the ball is constantly being put in front of the striker and it's constantly not going into the the net it just filters through the back of the team where the, the nerves grow and we can't afford to make a mistake in an ideal we, we create enough that that cheating goal that QPR scored or the mistake by Kiko Kassir against Sheffield Wednesday could be irrelevant because we make enough chances to to score goals so it it doesn't even matter. And I don't know, but part of it, I was reading little bits over the 
weekend because obviously on Sunday, uh, Liverpool beat Scum. And was it Mo Salah who completely miskicked it in the the six yard box? There was a ball cut back and it was like absolutely, yeah, yeah. and yeah. he just completely fluffed it and it was very Bamford esque. So he misses chances and then uh, Man City drew 2 2 with, was it? Crystal Palace. Palace that they played and I think the statistic on that was they put in 55 crosses or something ridiculous and they ended up scoring from two of them but if you're talking about conversion rates I mean even Leeds aren't that fucking bad <laughs> we only scored two out of 55 the Bielsa legacy there well exactly yeah but it is uh, a feature not only of our team that that we we struggle with this mm. but even the, the best in the land do the then thing to move on to is that last night we watched part of the the hype, not the hype, but the hysteria about the the QPR game is that feeling that it's only us and and we're uniquely fucking this up and it's a repeat of of last season. Which at, at times I feel like that's a bit of wish fulfillment. Like we're almost willing that to yeah. come through by protect, concentrating protect on us it. from protect us from the actual glory. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. and and if we if we stopped comparing everything to last season, we might see that it's it's different. And then West Brom last night, you know, first two minutes, Dianga, whatever he's called, he did last a little bit longer than Pablo at Fulham, but eerily similar. And then uh, their goal, like if you compare the goal we compared to, we conceded to QPR to the goal West Brom conceded last night, absolute fucking shambles at the back for West Brom, that one. And then they attacked Stoke for the rest of the game and and couldn't score and they they lost. And it, it makes the top of the division interesting it gives us more of a chance anyway it gives us more of a chance and it also I think it it should serve as a a reminder that we're not the only ones who are losing games and in fact yeah I looked at the the league table yesterday we are still in the position like the form lately there's no getting away from the fact that we need to change the form but we've won more games than any other team in the division and goals scored so Bamford is the problem scoring goals. We're fourth for goals scored. And the only reason QPR are third is because they put 11 past Wales. So there's still the the traces of a very, very good football team underneath this bad, bad run, which, yeah, it doesn't uh, West Brom at bottom of the form table, which is... <laughs> the, 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 the whole division is bonkers. It and is. We are bonkers. And, and you're right. What you touched on earlier is absolutely correct. And the word I was searching for that I couldn't find earlier, it's compounded. The whole m- misery, the anxiety, the the frenetic response on Twitter, it's all compounded because it's January, because the transfer window's open, because the squad's thin, because we've got injuries. Because we haven't signed anybody. Yeah. Like, uh, if we'd signed somebody on the 2nd of January, then we'd be much more relaxed. We'd probably have six more points. I was going to say that the, we might be more relaxed because we were still 10 points clear of third. But. Yeah. but the beautiful thing is, and you know, we've spoken in the last couple of podcasts about it's hard for us to mess this one up. It still is. Mm. We're still, it's not that hard anymore. Well, no, it, it's easiest for us to mess it up, but we've still given ourselves a good chance by having that buffer to allow ourselves the bad run of form as long as we turn it around. And I refuse to believe that we can go into terminal decline. I just don't believe it. I think no. we've got games coming up that we will um, we will win. And all it'll take is new signing or two and a win against Millwall and suddenly the world looks different because we could be top. Mm. And Brentford were the team last week that were that were definitely going to take our place. They're going to win every game between now and the end of the season. Couldn't even score against Huddersfield. Against QPR, they look brilliant. They look like they could have, they could have been about five up by half-time in that game. Huddersfield are shit. Couldn't score past them. And QPR as well, we were talking about their, their attack. So yeah, they are third highest scorers in the division because they did five against Cardiff and six against Swansea or, or vice versa 
and we kept them down to. I'm not counting that Naki Wells goal. Like they, <laughs> so this team that can that is capable of sticking five or six past decent championship teams couldn't score past us. So that says something about how solid we still are. And I've not watched the second half back, but it was like so many other games where we're the only ones who look like scoring, and it was only that fucking cheating idiocy of the goal that we conceded um, that cost us and Bamford obviously we say thanks as always to Levi solicitors for the support on the podcast get in touch with their conveyancing team if you're shifting house here in the new year loads of people moving in the new year so if you are thinking of moving get in touch with Levi's to look after your conveyancing they are specialists they've got loads of experience in the field as well accredited as part of the conveyancing quality scheme which means they work to the highest levels of service and we frankly we wouldn't be endorsing them if we didn't if they didn't would we they will update you in plain English completely transparent on their fees as well you can get an instant conveyancing quote on their website usual page and then you can knock another 10% off as well because you're coming through us have a look at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball well there have been more financial rumblings around Leeds United which we'll get onto in a moment or two but that is very much tied into the January transfer window and as we sit here on Tuesday morning it's 11 o'clock still not signed anybody why haven't we signed anybody what's going on so having calmed everybody down in the last section now we've got to start cranking up that hysteria again I'm worried about Alia Caprile as well. How how are we going to go around the about these under twenty three games without a, a suitable backup? He's just waiting for FA clearance. Well, so they say. So they say. This is where we discover he's not Italian at all. He's got a Costa Rican passport, and he's a forty year old man. These Raúl Bravos are complex. <laughs> Nothing's been proven there yet. Yet. <laughs> oh, I mean, accomplice as in you know he carries his his suitcases for him, bags and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that's what you meant. The bags full of guns and money. Shay Adams seems like we're still clinging on by our fingertips to this one. We're not letting it go. We're being told no quite a lot. All the messages are saying no, but still, Shay, Shay, still love you. Don't leave me. I think we're being. It's got beyond optimism now to hope that he still might come. But you never know. It might just be that Southampton want that extra body in because I think a lot of what Hassan Huttle has been doing which translates by the way we've got a translation on that I think it's is it Rabbit House uh, yes thank you to everybody who sent that in it's a, it's Rabbit Hutch yeah uh, I like the idea of a Rabbit House which, it sounds more grandiose than a Hutch <laughs> whatever it is it feels like that's where he wants to lock Shea Adams and, <laughs> and not let him come to Leeds yeah Hassan Huttle it feels to me like he's saying I don't want to lose him don't want to lose him but would probably be alright with losing him if I could get another forward in that's the subtext there isn't it yeah it feels that way and the updates from everybody kind of watching it from Phil Hay from Graham Smith is I think we need to sort of just remember that Leeds aren't as stupid as sometimes we think I think if there was absolutely no chance then they would walk away from this and there will be hopefully a a deadline on this that's well in advance of the window so that alternative arrangements can be made but if somebody at Southampton is saying, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna just sack that manager anyway, and you can have him," there are some other things kind of moving parts at Southampton where they've got a they've got a new sporting director who's due in. He's not actually started work yet, but he's kind of involved. And we were saying last week about them having their their big January transfer planning window in the middle of the planning window <laughs> um, of the transfer window. Sorry, so it is kind of. As we're saying, we've we've stumbled into that thing where other other teams' problems become our problem. If it was as simple as a, a hard and fast no, or even a maybe that instinctively 
like I think from outside, we all feel like, oh, like you said, that's not going to happen. Like way too optimistic. We need to give up. You just got to hope that they're, they're acting on more concrete information than we are getting. Otherwise, Andre Gray would be would be here to, to finish the job he started in the 1996 League Cup final. I think there is also a general... What's the word I'm after? It's a, not a misunderstanding, but perhaps we don't understand how transfers work in our fans' mind. It's a much more simple process as we view it as fans than perhaps the moving parts in the real world represent because you've got a player who needs to be willing to come. There's a question there around wages. You've got to have a, a club that's willing to sell him. Are they looking to get a replacement? Like you say, the politics within that club. Is Hassan Huttle going to issue an ultimatum to his board? There's so many moving parts. Adam's to... going to, there's been talk of him putting in a transfer request and then we're to... And, and, and I, mean, I presume, sorry to interrupt, I was going to say presumably there are financial implications for him if he does that as well, like not getting paid off, things yeah. like that. Um, and having to wait for them to have a a meeting and you're relying on, so they, they train in the morning. Okay. Is Ralph and Shay going to get together in the afternoon? And then when does that get communicated back to the board? Aren't Southampton owned by people abroad? Andrea Ratridzani might have fucked off to Qatar for a while. And so, you know, can we get hold of our chairman? So a lot has to happen. It's not as simple anymore as just like when Bill Fotherby would phone up um, Martin Edwards and say, can we have Dennis Irwin? And they'd say, no, can we have Eric Cantona? And he'd say, yes. Relatively simple, simple days. And yeah, the days when you could just trade a player as a commodity, you know, you'd, he'd come into training one morning and say, right, we've loaned you to Leeds, get in a car, go. Now the player will bring his agent in and his entourage and his family will be weeping saying they don't want to go north and there'll be subclauses in his contract saying that well if they loan him against his will then he's he's owed his back dates on his image rights for whatever all this it's a fucking nightmare but at the same time just fucking sign him yeah no I agree get it done and I think I think (laughs) I want it all our way the cynicism from Leeds fans it is justified we've been looking at this for, for the extra ball that we're doing this week looking back at previous January transfer windows and they've basically all been a disaster like since signing Tony Yeboah in January we've not signed anyone good in January ever and mainly we. and while we've struggled to get good players in we've not really struggled to get rid of our best players in January we've done that on a few occasions it would just be nice if once we didn't fuck this up I think that's the problem, isn't it? And Phil has used the phrase PTSD almost like with regards to how Leeds fans view not only our promotion charge, but transfer windows you could add into the uh, into the equation, couldn't you? And we've been scarred by previous events so many times that, you, like you say, you now just it's turned into a, a blind hope and a faith and not helped by the documentary and Angus Kinnear saying we're not dicking around with the playoffs, dipping form and saying stupid stuff in the programme notes like we want to move early this window. Now, he did caveat that by saying, but only if the right player is available. But surely... He knows how the transfer window works and the fact that it always runs up close to deadline. That's just how it works, which frightens the life out of us as Leeds fans and is part of the problem. But still, don't say it. As we said before, just don't say it. Better to say nothing. Yeah, I think the problem from their point of view is they they did move early and then we just ran into rabbit hutch and that's fucked everything up. And it is weird how different it could be that if Q Jenkins wasn't uh, Swansea's chairman at the, at the time it would have been an absolute coup signing Dan James that would have been an, an incredible nobody knew who he was and we'd identified him blah 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 and it would have been incredible and then if Rabbit Hutch hadn't just decided he's going to 
actually, I've not played this player all season, but now he's the one I want to keep forever. We'd have got him in in the first week and it would everything would have been absolutely fine. So you can kind of, you can understand why Victor Orta just slumps in his chair that way and looks, he's probably running through all that stuff as well. It's just, uh, I bet what was going through his mind um, in that shot at the end of the game was Ralph fucking Rabbit Hutch over and over again and probably visions of all the different kind of rabbit houses that are available from pet shops just haunting him those are the the problems we have and then there is an extra pressure as well with with Orta's reputation like that's all we have to go through every signing he's ever made now as well as attaching that to to this and there's no it's a little bit like um, Bamford up front to Leeds where there's there's no the defenders don't have the confidence that they're not going to have to keep a, a clean sheet and we don't have the confidence that we're not going to get lumbered with Lawrence Debock on January the 31st. So it really is time for them to step up yeah. and, and, uh, and and do something right. Which also segues us seamlessly into the next point, which is finances as well. And because FFP or profit and sustainability regulations are now kicking in because we're in that three-year cycle, which is pinching Derby, which again, we'll come on to in a bit, Sheffield Wednesday and so on and so forth. We don't have a direct example. We don't know for sure 100% how it's affecting Leeds. We just know it's there somewhere in the background. And there is a tendency to believe, oh, well, they're using it as an excuse. Or, But it is another factor to think about this, about how we can spend, where we can spend it, what we actually need. Do the two things marry up? We need a good Premier League striker. Well, how are the finances going to work on that in relation to profit and sustainability? Yeah, I mean, Watford's opening deal that they made public for... Uh... Andre Gray about whoever wants to loan him will have to pay, was it a million or two million up front? And then all of his £85,000 a week. Well. Seems wages. to be between 70 and £85,000 seems to be the numbers. And around, then you can just... mental. Yeah, and you just, and that's why you just go, you know what, we're out. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's, you know, there will be wiggle room on the FFP calculations, but not so much that Leeds can suddenly have... £80,000 a week player on the books. It just, we're not in that uh, situation. And But that's what we, that's the player that we need is a player from the Premier League who can score goals because I'm sure we could go to Italy or Spain or Belgium and find a, a prospect who's much cheaper. Maybe go to Anderlecht and see what Kemal Roof would cost. Um, <laughs> like we could do that. We could we could find a player that Victor Rhodes has identified on, on his transferred, dating app websites um, and pay them a, a reasonable amount and bring them in and they might actually be good but we have to go for that market of the Shea Adams the the Andre Grays I've got more into the idea of Gray since reading a bit more about him I didn't know a huge amount about his past but if you look at any pictures Son of, of him, Frank nephew of Eddie <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> He's got like a four inch scar across his cheek because he was stabbed in the face In the what? In the face so, and he was like in gangs and stuff when he was younger. So I think him and Bamford together. <laughs> Could be the perfect couple. I feel like they'll even each other out. The original odd couple. Yeah. Makes them live together. There's a movie there, isn't there? There definitely is. They can, they can room together. He can learn some streetwise tricks from Grey. Bamford can teach him to play the cello and whatnot. I think he's got, it's a dream. I think we're going to go 4 4 2 from the end of, to now, in the end of the season. And it's going to be Grey and Bamford, the and odd his, couple. His record at this level is, is good. But the problem is, as we've discovered, if you have a good striker at this level, like Chris Wood, then a bid comes in from the the Premier League and we couldn't afford to either keep Chris Wood or buy him back or even loan him back 
on the wages. I've seen people suggesting that. Saying, why don't we just go get Chris Wood back? It's like, he's playing in the Premier League. He'll be on a fortune. We're not, yeah. we're not, it's never going to happen. The absolute, I don't know why it doesn't register often, but just the, the absolute gulf in, in wages just makes it an impossible situation, which is, it's the, I mean, we've, I feel like Enketi has been done to death a little bit, but it is, at the time, and I think we spoke about it at the time, it was actually quite a clever way of getting yeah. a really, really expensive player for not much. I know we now say that we've we've spunked the loan fee and we don't get any money back and, and that the recall clause means that we've ended up being fucked over. But the flip side of that is that there is no other way of financing to have that quality of player in your squad if you're in the championship unless you've got parachute payments. And and so from that point of view, that's it's boxing clever in, in the summer. And it was a, a bit of a a coup then to say if the loan fee was three million quid and you get a season of a player who's worth 20 and affordable wages then you've done really well and it's been interesting to see Bielsa's agitated anger about Arsenal taking him back which I think the fact that he keeps going on about it makes me think he he thinks they've acted dishonorably and that even if there was that recall clause to say well if you don't play him this often we can have him back um, I think his understanding was that they would be nice, generous people and say, all right, you've not played him enough first half of the season, but he was injured for a month. We understand that. And, you know, and Arteta is sitting there saying how much is the training and the experience at Leeds has improved him. So we've, to that extent, they're very happy with what happened to Enkessia at Leeds. And so Bielsa's point of view is, so why not leave him with us the way you said you would? Um I suppose relying on there being any honour in football. <laughs> and change, a, ma- change of manager's a thing there as well, whereas Arteta might say, well, I fancy having a look at him now. He's been off with Bielsa for a bit. Let's go see what he's, let's see what he's like here. But anyway, let's move on to the financial side of things because before the world caved in at QPR, um, there was a meeting between Ratrasani and a variety of uh, moneyed characters, one of which was um, the guy from QSI, Nasser Al-Khalifa, in a restaurant called Amazonico. Amazonico? Amazonico. One of those. And uh, looks nice, doesn't it? People say he's got no money. I'd look at the menu. <laughs> £9 for, for yucca fritter. What's they that, sorry? Yucca fritter. That it's, um, I think it's instead of chips. Right. Nine quid, though, for some chips. Yucky chips. Yucky chips. So Doesn't sound great, to be honest. One in the face for all those who say he's got no cash. Um, disappointing, You're though. assuming like a, he picked up the bill. Like That's true. Like a group of teenagers, the picture, they're all sat on the phones. Like Angry Birds or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I like the assumption that they must be doing, you know... Business. High That's level what, finance and they're not yeah. all playing Candy Crush. <laughs> what have you got? Which level are you on? 247. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, something's got to be going on there. And we've seen rumblings in the background with the restructuring of Radrazani's other companies and Acer and Eleven are all, you know, the stuff. What's what's happening for anybody who doesn't understand it or glazes over at the mere mention of finances? Put it in simple terms for us. I think Eleven Sports UK has been binned off as a failure. I think the there was a, a movement on that to basically say that's that's shutting down. I think it is worth remembering sometimes Eleven Sports UK was a mess, but in I think Poland and Portugal, I think it does okay, does it? Yeah, it ticks over absolutely fine. They have the the main rights to several leagues there and and don't have any problems as far as I'm aware. And then Acer Group, Acer Investments, which is the sort of the the company that owns Greenfield, which is the company that owns Leeds and Elland Road, and then also owns his other investment companies, Eleven Sports, and there's various other ones. There's like a, a sports tech company that he started up under that. They have a facility now 
to borrow uh, $40 million from an American investment facility called Corum Capital. So, that so mean, does this mean we have to buy American players because it's in dollars? Yeah, Robbie Rogers is behind uh, the move. Him and uh, Eddie Lewis have teamed up on on this. They they heard my comments about Roy Wegley at the weekend and uh, are going to bring him in as a replacement for it. No, that's all. Um, <laughs> all lies. We don't actually, there is no way of knowing um, from looking at the, the existence of this £40 million loan facility what it means. It's $40 because, million, dollars, we should just stress. Yeah, it's, about, it's about 30 million quid. All we can say it means as is that Acer Investments as a group have access to $40 million of finance. So that could be $40 million is going to be thrown into Leeds night tomorrow and go out on Andre Gray the next day and we're not going to worry about FFP anymore. It could be that $1 million is going to come into Leeds tomorrow and we'll spend it on upgrading the turnstiles. It could be that nothing is coming into Leeds tomorrow and it's all going on. Um, maybe Acer are going to buy a new company that this is the the investment for or maybe one of the other companies, this sports tech thing that he's got, maybe they're going to take... $25 million because they're going to, they're doing some research and development or they're doing a product launch. Or maybe all these companies are losing so much money that this is a desperate bid that he needs a loan to bail them all out. There is nothing, there's nothing written down anywhere that says any more information about what this will do. The more optimistic end of it, some people have been saying, is maybe this is a way of buying out, financing the 49ers out of it ahead of a sale to QSI. That's people putting that. that's people putting two and two together though, and seeing him in a restaurant with people, and he's obviously been in Doha and yeah. what have you. But there's no way of knowing what it is. Just as there's no way of knowing what the money in your bank account is going to be yes. spent on. Yeah, I could tell you that I've just taken out a, a loan, and it means absolutely nothing without some. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what. If you ever do want to go down that rabbit hole, my god, about finding out how insurance works. <laughs> Honest, I lost about a good half a day to that. I won't go into it now because this is a football podcast and it's a completely different. Is it something you could discuss with Levi solicitors? Maybe ten percent discount. It's wild how they do that—the whole insurance thing. Mental. Anyway, everything's. Um, and the, the other thing to remember with the relationship with with QSI and the people is that they're they're friends from long back. So the assumption is that their meal is a is a business meeting, but it could just be. Oh, I'm in London because QPR are playing. Do you want to do you want to have dinner? Should we go out for tea? Night um, in the West West End. Go see a show. Yeah, so it's it's we can only uh, watch and guess and wonder, um, but certainly that hope must be the one as well. <laughs> there's a certain amount of hope attached to all this. Uh, well, it depends. I mean, I think there's a lot of different views on on what we hope from QSI. I mean, uh, I, I mean, my general hope is that it's not going to knack a Legion United and Legion United will come out of it all right, no matter what that looks like. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's so. my that's my hope. And not be Derby County, because I'd like to mention them quickly, if we can, because they've got the, this charge from the EFL about the profit and sustainability rules. And, of course, this will level the accusation that they're living rent-free in our heads. But, no, it's it's pertinent and it's interesting because it's perhaps a model of what we don't want to do. Because they've got this charge hanging over them. Two-pronged is this charge. Number one is that they've overvalued the stadium, which, and I actually took a bit of time to look into their accounts for whatever reason, I had a look the other night. And yes, the stadium was there, listed the year before, valued at about, it looked to my mind about 45 million quid, something like that, 40 million. And then the year after, it has been removed and listed as sold for 80 million. Mm. So there's a discrepancy there. In the previous set of accounts, it was done by, evaluation was done by a company that Derby commissioned, um, but they seem to have sold it for a lot more than it's worth. That's what the charge relates to, whether it's proven or not remains to be seen. But 
uh, Tariq Panja, who writes for the New York Times, said that essentially the Football League allowed it through until they realised that Derby had done this sale valuation based on their own people, which, you know, it's like getting, Michael, could you value my car at £50,000, please, so I can sell it? Um, it was making a very odd noise when you drove up here before. Like yeah. Michael commented on it, that it didn't sound very good. <laughs> and now he's willing to, he reckons it's worth thousands. That's right. And then the EFL have said, well, what we'll do is we'll send in our valuers and independent valuers, and they valued it a lot lower. So they're saying, you've, you've pulled a fast one. That's what the charge relates to. So we'll see if that one... Yeah. And the, the reason Terry Panja pull that up is it's because Derby's response, their very angry response to is that um and this is where the that the slither of, of Sean Harvey comes in, is that they say the matter was discussed extensively with the EFL and they agreed to all the arrangements and that everything that Derby have done, they say the EFL was aware of and signed off on. And Terry Panja's point is that uh PSG, funnily enough, our uh, future... Friends? <laughs> yes. Um, kissing cousins. They also had this problem with UEFA, whereas they presented the figures to UEFA and they said, yeah, that all looks fine. And then the actual figures turned up and UEFA went, actually, you know what? No, you Not can't. fine. Yeah, you can't do any of this. And, yeah, and Derby's argument is that you don't get two goals, whereas I think the EFL's argument will be, yeah, but you don't just get to do it wrong. It does make you realise that for the, and the other stuff which we'll come on to, that for all of the, the fact that there are these rules in place, it sounds like really the EFL needs a team of people working on this full time, actually looking through accounts properly, and then immediately going back to people going, well, there's this. Yeah. This looks a bit weird. Well, that, that the, way you, the way you're doing this looks a bit unusual. That's not how most clubs do it. And actually bringing in proper standard accountancy procedures for stuff like this. After Sean Harvey left, there was a job advert saying that they needed, they wanted some full time accountancy expertise um, I don't think it's because it had left with him I think it's because he he perhaps he'd just been doing it himself He's, going yeah it looks fine yeah Ken used to do stuff like that that's no <laughs> I'm problem I'm happy to wave, wave all this through the other issue then the other prong of this particular uh, set of charges relates to amortisation and again let's put this into really simple straightforward terms for anybody who just finds all this stuff baffling in essence it's like if you sign a player who you sign for like say £4 million pounds, uh, what you then do is if it's a four year contract you sign them on you write off a million pounds a year That's and that, but that counts towards your losses so you effectively lose a million pounds a year on that player however what they're saying is Derby haven't done that. Instead of giving them a £4 million value, because that's what you bought them for, they're giving them like a residual value, aren't they, of, let's say, £2 million. So it minimises your losses. Yeah, they just decide that the player will be worth a different amount yeah. to them. It's like saying, yeah, we paid £4 million for him, and I think they're arguing it around what the uh, the trans the future transfer fee might be, and they're saying, yeah, we signed him for £4 million, but if we wanted to sell him, we'd only get two million. Mm -hmm. So instead of putting down one million pounds a year on his four-year contract, we put down half a million pounds a year on his four-year contract and then we sail through FFP and lose in the playoff final. <laughs> there is, there, I mean, it is a thing that you can do on certain assets, but footballers are not one of them. Because the, the actual, the wording of it is that it has to be like an active market for the asset from which residual value can be determined and which is probable. So if it's... A car, you, for example. Is if you're selling yeah. a car or like a piece of machinery, like a, a printing press or something that's going to have some value, fine. If it's Richard Keogh, who might, at the end of his four-year contract, have a leg that's in eight pieces... Not worth so much. But on the so, flip side, on flip side of that, you might sign a young player who is finished in four years or might be worth 10 million quid, so you can't assign a value to them, can and you? And so there's, a, there's two things to talk about because some people have, have started questioning the legality of what 
Derby doing, and I don't think there's any question that they're doing anything illegal, but we're talking about passing a test to be part of a sporting competition. So it's the, the profit and uh, sustainability, the FFP test is all about, are you playing by the EFL's rules? And it's accepted that while this is, it's accounting to zero, basically, as you say, we've signed this player for for four million and at the end of the contract, they're technically worth zero. So it's a million pound a year over their four year contract. And then we sell it to the next club and they account it for the same way. They might sign in for eight million, but then it's two million over the and everybody's kind of agreed that that's that's how that works. There's only Derby that we know about who are the ones who are going, actually we'll do it differently because it because we get millions of pounds more to play with under the FFP rules. It's not about a tax scam. It's not about um accountancy regulations or getting it past HMRC, it's purely getting more money to play with under the EFL's FFP regulations. And I think if 23 teams in the league are all accounting the same way and Derby are doing something different that gives them an advantage, it's a sporting breach. And that's why there'll be a sporting sanction if it's all proven. And they're talking about 12-point deduction with nine more points if it's deemed to be an aggravated breach, which, I mean, I don't see how you would argue that this is not, if this is proven, that's definitely a a deliberate attempt to sidestep the rules everybody else is playing by and relegate the (laughs) I was kind about the the bleep machine before, but you've got me riled. (laughs) Because it it feels unfair to our club in general because you see how irate Leeds fans get about the whole concept of FFP and why don't we just fuck it off and why are we the only ones who seem to to, to play by the rules and then you have the, the flip side of that where there was Marcelo Bielsa in his press conference last week saying that you know, Andrea Rattrizzani has built the, the the perfect ethical sporting club until QSI turn up and, unless they try to take him to Myanmar again but where it's like they play by the rules and they are fair in this competition and so it's about time that the, the clubs that we're looking at go in who are almost tempting us into fucking off FFP and just spend spending all the money actually get punished for it because there should be it's about time Leeds got some kind of credit for playing by the rules instead of QPR getting that goal that that should never have been allowed Millwall getting that penalty and Berardi sent off that they should never have had Fulham we didn't get the penalty down there that we should have had there's three clear sporting decisions this season have gone against us if they could just relegate 22 of the teams <laughs> would be fine wouldn't we yeah it would it would definitely help or at least make it really visible that the the clubs that have been causing this internal strife with us where we're all questioning why do we have to play by the rules punish the fuckers and then we'll see that actually yeah it's probably a a, a good job that we play by the rules and do not suffer for it i think that's you're right a, there it the would thing. actually it would give more context to the way that leeds is being run you're right yeah because yeah. because we don't see a benefit to being run fairly and i think that's the the short version of what i was trying to say is we need to see the benefit of respecting these rules and the benefit is that we don't get relegated. It is the same as doping in athletics. If you can see that you're the only clean athlete and you're losing by a long way every time, then you eventually you go... Might, might as well shove some might, steroids in my eyeballs. Well, <laughs> might as well get a bit involved in some of these drugs. Everyone, everyone else seems to be doing it and, and winning, so I, there's no point me being here really otherwise. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, the booze baton are the destination for our end-of-season party. It's wide open again now. If you want to follow this and, and sort of play along, Eden J. Harris is the guy on Twitter who goes by the nickname of Garden. Be sure to say hi to him. Hi, Garden. Uh, he's tracking it for us. So start of the season, lead to possession of the booze baton, and then it changes hands through victory for another team. So we passed it on to Stoke, so on and so forth. And it is currently, oh, it was, beg your pardon, it was with Southampton. Shea Adams had secured it for us at, at Leicester, hadn't it's he? It's another thing that uh, Rabbit Hutch wasn't willing to let go, was it? But they lost uh, 3-2 to Wolves on Saturday, which it's created all sorts of wild possibilities for an overseas leg, a uh, European split again, uh, or possibly the West Midlands. Because they've got Liverpool on Thursday. I and think then... the conversation ends there though, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then if Liverpool win, they then have got the possibility of, well, they, of losing it in Madrid, which would be quite interesting. Mm. And if, if Wolves beat them, then it can go to... Espanol, so Barcelona, which would be quite nice. Or and then if Wolves somehow get past both of them, they play Scum, and if Scum get it, then it could end up in Bruges. It's worth pointing out Espanol very briefly home to Marcelo Bielsa. Yes, he was there for a few months before he uh, he then got the unexpectedly got the Argentina job, so he didn't stay there very long. But um, that would be nice. So loads of things. Or if it Liverpool get it, it and then lose to Shrewsbury in the FA Cup. Go to Shrewsbury, which I don't entirely know where it is. I did. I mean, Telford. Telford's nice. Ironbridge, that neck of the woods, you know, down that way. They've okay. replaced uh, Gay Meadow, haven't they, which used to have a, a hedge around it um, <laughs> from, from memory. And I think it's one of those, it's a little bit like um, Craven Cottage in that there's a, a river behind with a guy in a boat. That's what I said. We've mentioned that on the pod before, haven't we? It was an old guy. He was, on, he was about 105 when it was on Football Focus at some time years back. I know he, he passed away, that old fella, but um, nice way to spend your Saturday afternoon recovering balls from the river. They've got rid of it, though. Closed in 2007, yeah. so actually quite a long time ago when it comes uh, uh, down to it. and so moved to the new meadow. They uh, released Andre Gray as a youngster as well. Ah, so we're moving on from the Shea Adams derby to the the Andre Gray derby. In fairness, recovering your balls from the river could well happen on the boost baton as well. Potentially. 
As Michael mentioned earlier on on this week's Extra Ball, if you fancy getting away from the doom and gloom of this January transfer window, pick up loads of new, exciting, glorious, happy information on the Extra Ball, uh, our weekly subscription podcast, Extra Stuff Every Week. And this week we're looking back at other business we've done in the January window. For example, selling Johnny Woodgate, swapping Becchio for Morrison, signing Anthony Elding, and so much great stuff that you might want to reminisce about. And subscribing to the Extra Ball means you're getting behind us and the chance to win the greatest mug ever cast every single week. It's at thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball I mean Millwall we've got another podcast to come between now and then so I guess we could uh, split our Millwall hot chat over the two but they're in form Gary Rowett's there now isn't he they're 7th have they got to 7th what's going on there they've lost 1 in 13 that's how they've got there and I don't understand it and I don't like it I can only conclude um, that uh, Matt Smith is the difference maker you, you were showing me a picture earlier of Matt Smith, um, Matt Smith's crumpled face. Yes, he was uh, punched in the face. Um, in the face? In the face. And really, nobody's nose should be going to the place where... The, there's a brilliant photo that captures the moment and nobody's nose should be going to the place where Matt Smith's nose has gone. Um, unfortunately for him, the referee was more interested in some porcine lust than in uh, actually awarding a penalty for, for this, so he didn't get anything and uh, Matthew did. Um, he put that photo out on Twitter himself, uh, laughing, saying... No penalty, not he says, it. didn't he? Uh, or uh, pe- penalty, no. Mais non. Oh. Mais non, penalty. I mean, he's, have um, you seen the picture? Have a look. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah he gave him a right clatter. Absolutely the crazy. The, um, he is listed on their website when I was Googling around for Millwall on their website as his full Sunday name, which is Mathieu. Mathieu. I imagine his mother insists on it these days. Um, when we're talking about, obviously, he's being brought off the bench for them quite a lot, very much. He is the championship Shea Adams. He's now got seven goals and four assists in 12 starts and 12 sub-appearances. And it, he's played... 12, 12 minutes, 1,212 minutes, a goal every 173 minutes. And uh, Pat Bamford um, is now a goal every 209 minutes. And if we just, if we need somebody to be big and strong and causing trouble outside the box to help the team create chances and then to get in the box and finish, the end of them. finish off the crosses that Jackie Harrison is aiming 10 feet in the air above the penalty <laughs> spot. Here is, here's the player to do it. If ever there was a game we should win, and I know they're in great form, if ever there's a game we should win, it's Millwall at home on a Tuesday night because they're going to have played Sheffield United and gone hell for leather on the Saturday in the FA Cup. And then they're pretty much going to have to then journey up to Leeds after what, a day off? Journey up to Leeds. Mm. They're going to have no turnaround time. We've got 10 days to get our shit together, sign somebody new, also to get fired up about Tom Bradshaw, the diving prick. Sign their best player. Yeah. So we take him. But this is the game we absolutely could, should and need to win. Feels to me like we've got a long time to fret over this one. Over-prepared. We'll be planning for it for, <laughs> for a full eight days now, just watching the videos, getting the shape right in training. That's right. You go down that side, Helder, you cut it back and yep, and that's where they'll uh, boot it out from the six-yard box time and time and time again. It is sometimes better not to have the, especially during a, a transfer window. I do sometimes think playing the next game straight after the one before is better, even if we just have to play all through the night. I don't want to be in Elland Road if we lose this. No, I don't think we'll lose it. If Leeds, we won't lose it. If Luke Ayling, if Bill could just let me know before the match whether we're going to win or not, and then if he says, no, we're going to lose, I won't go, Like if that could be arranged. We'll not do the match ball either, because... <laughs> 
It's a bit, it's getting a bit... Half an hour of crying. It's getting a bit hard now, isn't it? Now we're losing all the time. They were, they were good fun earlier in the season when we came in and just, just laughed about how, how far clear we were at the top of the league. But when we resume that form and we put that distance back in place, that gap to the uh, to third place in a few weeks, then uh, we'll be able to go, how oh, were we frenetic a few weeks ago? Weren't we really upset? We owe these for, for I'm looking down Rodgers their squad for everything. And they have someone called Billy Mitchell in the yeah. team, which seems a step too far to, it's, it's to being carry stereotypes. Caricature, isn't and, it? And they also have Sean Williams, which is very near to Sean Williamson, who is Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> so they've basically got two EastEnders characters in their squad now. And they're only good players, uh, Matthew Smith, as we've discussed, and then there's Jed Wallace, the, the youngest Wallace brother, who's always pretty decent. But apart from that, I suppose tribute to Gary Rowett that he's managed to get this shower of shit up to seventh. With what looks like a bit of a change in, in playing style, whoscored.com tell me that obviously they are very strong at aerial duels because Matt Smith can come on and, and do that. Um, and at creating chances through creating chances through individual skill is a strength of theirs, which is unexpected, but not as unexpected as their style of play being playing with width and non-aggressive. Hmm. Doesn't seem to tally up with the evidence. You know, uh, Barcelona recently sacked their manager because even though they're top of the league, he's not playing the Barcelona way. Do you think Gary Rowett is going to get them to the top of the championship <laughs> but with a, a non-aggressive side to probably fill them with uh, with all kinds of players from, from very diverse multicultural backgrounds <laughs> and the supporters are just going to say, you pushed your luck with that French striker that we, we forced you to sell to Leeds in January, but this is too far. There were three passes in that match completed and they were under 15 yards sacked. Get bring, out of our club. Bring back Dennis Wise. He he knows the club and he's got to play the Millwall way, hasn't he? So, Are we concerned about them being very strong at aerial duels and strong at attacking set pieces? No. Nah. Well, it's all just Matt Smith, isn't it? They won't get any. It's both ends. He as His resemblance to John Charles is not only physical, but playing style as well. Good in both boxes. I mean, we piss around with Pat Bamford trying to defend corners. Imagine Matt Smith in our box. Ben White could just stand over with Kiko. They won't get any chance. Smoking a cigarette. It's fine. Dan, given how confident you are uh, at this game, can you remind me what your predictions were for the QPR game? I think against Millwall, what we will do is we will sign uh, up... I, play- did, I didn't ask that. I said, what were, your, what were your predictions for the QPR game? My words were, I fancy us to win this one. I never said we would. This Millwall game, I'm saying we will. Yeah, easy. Sign a new player. The hysteria uh, subsides a little bit. We've got 10 days to build up for it. It'll be a bit tense in Ellen Row because it always is when we're coming off the back of these uh, runs of form. We'll score an early goal inside the first 15, 20 minutes and it'll be plain sailing from there. We obviously, because the, the transfer window is open as we record, a little bit of a Twitter refresh to see what's happening. Uh, we're now being linked with a Brit Asombalonga, which we weren't being linked with an hour ago. So there's news. That's your, that's your Victor 2 plus 2, is that, isn't it? Equals I think so. It's hopefully come from five. The, uh... It's like when we're linked with the guy from Everton as well, who they've been basically trying to get rid of for three years. Nias is called. He's just he was on loan at Cardiff last year. Scored no goals in thirteen games, but they've just gone. Who's definitely going to be available? Him. Let's not get him. Let's get someone who we actually want. Asan Balonga was worth money at one point, wasn't it? Didn't didn't well, Gary Monk pay twelve million pounds for him? Fifteen million pounds. Jesus Christ. <laughs> whether he was worth that is an entirely different thing, or whether what, he was. Which agent was he with? <sighs> I mean... Right. So your predictions for the Millwall game? Uh, we're never going to win another football match. What's your real prediction for the Millwall game? We're not going to win this football match. Moscow. Uh, we'll win 4-0 uh, Matthew Smith hat-trick because we'll have signed him. 
As well as doing this podcast, we do a weekly show with Phil Hay. It's called The Phil Hay Show as part of our partnership with The Athletic. They now have 20 free football podcasts in their offering along with The Phil Hay Show, which is one of them. And um, there's a new EFL podcast as well. So if you want to see what lies beyond the walls of LS11, then have a listen to those. And if you want to catch up with all Phil's writing on The Athletic, head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash leads pod and you can subscribe right there with 40% off. Let's pick our heroes and villains then from the last seven days. Joy and despair, plenty of despair across the last seven days. Can we eke out a hero from somewhere? First, the uh, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. What's Ken been up to this week? Wyoming Ken. I found his Facebook page. Um, if you want to follow him yourself, <laughs> Kenneth Bates City Council Ward 2 is the page to follow. How many followers does it have? Um, I didn't notice, actually. Okay, because we'll need to compare to... Uh... How many followers it has <laughs> next week to see if there has been a sudden, a sudden surge of interest from a city in northern England. You'll know you're on the right, right one because the the background image on it is um, an American eagle thing with a flag in the background. And it's it's very Ken, actually. It says, as regulation grows, freedoms die. Yeah, You know exactly what it looks like in your mind's eye. You don't need to see it. I can, <laughs> I can smell the, the chlorinated chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's been there's been an automated messaging crisis in Wyoming because they the, the council water rates have got, have got some system in place that tells people if they've not paid and they've basically messaged um, about three and a half thousand people telling them the water's going to get cut off because they've not paid. So Ken's had to issue a, a statement. He says, "Yeah, um, which related to our new contract credit card services, our new credit card." Provide also provides using services, automated phone calls to delinquent customers. Delinquent is a strange choice of words, but the city has been making delinquent phone calls for years. It's a strange thing to brag about. But until a few weeks ago, we were using a locally hosted system. We've used a new system several times now. And it appears, in this case, we, city staff, made an error in how we upload the customer list. We'll come up with a plan. We'll have to re-notify the 607 customers who are genuinely delinquent. Presumably he'll be accessing the database to find out the uh, genuinely delinquent customers. <laughs> genuinely delinquent customers. Delinquent is a harsh word for people who've <laughs> just failed to pay a water bill. It makes them sound like they're up to all sorts of filth. Do they have direct debits in America? They should have direct debits in America, shouldn't they? That sounds too much like regulation to me. Why are you, why are you trying to stop me owning a gun? <laughs> Strip it all out, right. What else have we got for uh, for villainy this week? Speaking of guns, um, <laughs> segueing beautifully, uh, Raul Bravo, you remember him? What are those guns saying? They're saying ratatatat. <laughs> Raul Bravo, but he was a poor left-back one. We've had a few, few bad left-backs over the years, but... Always thought he was shady. <laughs> Tony Capaldi what's he been up to not trying to kill anyone that's for sure that we know about but um, Raul Bravo yeah is um, former Spain international fullback Raul Bravo once of Real Madrid Leeds United suspected of hiring a hitman to murder former Olympiacos teammate Darko Kovacevic mm. and he's previously been arrested on suspicion of corruption and money laundering which you will remember was the, the same investigation that ensnared Samuel Saiz so it, it's not actually as distant from us as as it, uh, well, I mean, it's already ex-Leeds star, once of Real Madrid and Leeds United. He's not hired a hitman and it's been cut off before it happened either. He actually was shot at, this guy. I mean, um, I've fallen out with my mates before when we've been playing football, but never to this extent. Yeah. I mean, none of the bullets 
actually hit him. Yeah, Kovicevic said, uh, I saw a man getting out of a car with a gun in his hand and coming towards me. I instinctively dived to the right and he fired at me. Then he ran, got into the car and disappeared. Apparently, and slotted it into the bottom left corner. Apparently the gunmen fled, fled the scene in a smart car, uh, <laughs> which was found torched in a, a neighbourhood on the outskirts of... Of Athens. I mean, Nippy, if, if you wanted to get away from a scene, let's imagine you were trying to shoot somebody, would you use a smart... Because you're going to get in and all the little nooks and crannies, can't you? Seeing like the the, uh, the Bourne films. I suppose it's, the, it's maybe the equivalent of the, the Italian job using the minis, isn't yeah. it? So it's uh, you've got to have something... I imagine downtown Athens has got some, you know, some fairly... You need a turning circle and, and perhaps a... Um, uh, efficient fuel <laughs> gauge. Uh, Raul Bravo has uh, denied this. It's, says, impo- it's uh, probably important that we say that. Yes, he says, a, a magazine in Serbia reported it and I was stunned that it said I ordered the murder of Kovicevic. <laughs> uh, the only thing that matters to them is selling magazines and saying I wanted to kill Darko sells more. It's a crazy story. It's nonsense. So while we have nominated you for villainy there, Raul, we'd like to stress it's just a comedy device. Just to get the story to air. Yeah, you don't... Uh, does he know our... I mean, he knows Leeds, doesn't he? So there could be... A, if there's a, a smart car coming round the loop road at 22 <laughs> miles an hour looking for a plug socket... What's that coming <laughs> the loop? Is it's, it a smart car? With Raul Bravo inside, uh, yeah. Right, let's move on to other people and who else? Pat Bamford for being as useless a hitman as the guys that Raul Bravo definitely didn't hire. Who else? Peter Banks, Bank referee... Has- Bank, yes, yes. Is he also implicated in the, the Spanish max-fixing allegations? Well, it looked that way. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it now. Uh, Peter Banquez was uh, paid by Raul Bravo to uh, to fix that game for QPR. I'm legally sound saying that, aren't I? I'm sure you are. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Um, whoever made the Leeds players do that video, the 49ers video. It was nice to see Adam Forshaw, though. Well, Even if it, if it would, it would have been nice to see him looking a little healthier. I don't know. You know, have you seen? If you watch that video back, the first word of what each segment of each Leeds United player is says, "Please give us some money." That's what it says. <laughs> I mean, true story. Calvin Phillips is obviously reading it. That's probably the the low point of it. Where Maybe can, that's what prompted that two footed tackle. You can see him looking down, and and also it's not clear to me because they're all saying we are one to go. Let's make it faithful. Yeah, but there seems to be some confusion as to whether it's let's make it faithful, mm. let's make it faithful, let's make it faithful. It is confusing. <laughs> like I, we are one to go. Let's make it faithful. And I get the feeling that whoever at Leeds had to sort that out. Probably the players are going back saying, "How do we set? Just fucking <laughs> say the words. Just it's say like, the words." It's like the Forty ers players going marching on together. We're marching on too. Gather. Gather is over there. We're, we're marching to it. We need to give Calvin a nomination, sadly. He's one of our heroes, but in this case, he has strayed into the realms of villainy because of that tackle. And we're going to need him for the next three games. And we, well, can't, we can't have, have him. him. No. It was a... It was fucking dreadful. Although, I, I didn't realise he apparently injured Jeff Cameron last season. And as we discussed on uh, on Saturday, Jeff Cameron... Took it well. Well, he's, uh, he's all about travel bans and... Uh, He's a big Trump supporter, if Wikipedia is to be believed. So I, I wonder if perhaps Calvin Phillips is striking a blow against that every time he sees him. Just thinks. Should have a word with uh, Wyoming Ken, I think, all this eagle. and uh, uh, As regulations grow, freedoms die, and Jeff Cameron's leg breaks. But yeah, it was a dreadful tackle. I kind of hope the one optimistic spin I can put on that is uh, let's play Alfie McCalman. Let's not 
force Stuart Dallas into being a, a central midfielder. Let's stick a young player in for a laugh. We're talking about freshing things up. I, I was thinking about this as well, part of our argument on um, Saturday about Jordan Stevens coming on, and we're about to nominate Jack Clark just for being a little twit. But last season we were all, you know, really excited whenever Jack Clark came on, like, oh, we've got this player from the 23, he's going to change everything. And then at the moment we've got Jordan Stevens who's kind of playing that role and it's gone a little bit like, oh, fuck are we bringing him on? Well, it's someone good. I did notice on John Stevens' Instagram account, he pictures of energy drinks. He's getting his deliveries, so he's going down the Jack Clark. He is the proto-Jack Clark, isn't he? Jack Clark, yeah, he was saying he's looking forward to playing for an English manager. He just seems very thick, doesn't he? Let's be honest on those on those clips that he puts out. I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's a young lad. And uh, him and Eddie and Ketia had a little back and forth on Instagram, didn't they? Which was very nice for you, because he's uh, happy to make my QPR debut today and top it off with a win. Also nice to see some familiar faces, and Eddie's love it. Mm. And Jack Clark gave him a love heart. Fuck off. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Derby can fuck off. Cheats. Pick yourself a, a villain then from those people. Got to be Banks, hasn't it? Yes, because I suppose Calvin probably wouldn't do that were it not for Banks. I mean, I'm tempted to give it to Bamford because if he'd scored the penalty, it's 1-1, everybody's look cooler. We might have gone on and had the confidence to score another and we did spend the first 15 minutes of the podcast basically blaming all our ills on him. <laughs> so it feels like a little bit of a, a turn to then get down to villainy and go, oh, no, he's all right. But, um, what but about yeah, then? give it to that, that referee. What about then? Bamford, sort mm. your shit out. Otherwise, it's you next. Thanks, you're having it. Oh, we're sending, <laughs> right, we're Raul, sending Bravo. Raul Bravo around. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's pick a hero then. Well, we've only got one, so let's nominate the single person. I mean, it was a real struggle. He was the only one I could think of. He he, he only made it in last minute because Stoke beat West Brom. So um, Michael O'Neill. Yeah, Stoke looked pretty good last night. Means we're not as terminally fucked as we appeared. Or at least if we are, so are West Brom. So we can both drop out of the top two. So uh, Michael O'Neill is our Andy Hughes hero for this week. Is there anyone else? No, there isn't, is there? Uh, No. We'll be back with the Phil Hay Show later on this week. You can get Mags Mugs merchandise and the half season subscription on the website. It's all at thesquareball.net. We're also going to be doing the extra ball looking back at January's past. A glorious lesson that's going to be as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. We will speak to you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 